I always like the second full day of retreat on the teaching side because I've had an opportunity to talk to you, to hear what's happening. And uh, it really feels like the, um, well, the retreat begins to collect at this time. And so it was really lovely hearing your experiences today and beginning to get a sense of what's happening. Sometimes as a teacher, we're sitting up here speaking and not so sure what's actually going on. (laughs) We can see you sitting out there and it can look so peaceful, but we know from the inside, from our own experience, you know, it's not always that way on the inside. So it's really um, delightful to get to talk to you. Tonight I'd like to talk about factors of mind that both get in the way of concentration and that support concentration. And this is a lot of what people were talking about today, and so it does feel like a fairly timely topic to be exploring with you tonight. In some ways this practice of concentration Maybe not in some ways. It seems like very much the practice of concentration is an expression of right effort. The classic understanding of right effort in in the Eightfold Path where we cultivate and maintain wholesome states of mind and we abandon and um, um, avoid unwholesome states of mind. So this is what we're exploring as we sit down and explore being with the breath. We notice what gets in the way of that, what unwholesome qualities of the mind get in the way of that, and learn how to navigate that with cultivating and supporting the wholesome qualities. And so to explore both sides of this, it supports our... navigation of this terrain. So the, um, the Buddha was a great map maker, uh, a list maker, and he did provide us with a list of things that tend to get in the way of concentration. The list, the hindrances. I know you've all heard talks about the hindrances. Having, we, since we had um, attending um, Vipassana retreat, come before attending this retreat. We partly want to have you have some skill with working with the hindrances before coming to this retreat. So this is not going to be a standard hindrances talk, actually. I'm not going to really touch on the specifics of hindrances. Um, But they are understood by the Buddha, the five hindrances, the sense desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness, and doubt. Classically, these are defined as the states of mind that hinder concentration. This is their function, in a way, to get in the way of concentration. And so they, they um, actively counter our ability to settle. And there's another list that is um, not so much perhaps defined as a list in the text, in the, at least in the suttas, but is mentioned. 
these qualities are mentioned in the suttas of five factors that come together when concentration is present in the mind. And these are called the jhanic factors, the factors of jhana. And these five factors of jhana directly oppose and counter the hindrances. And so it is this process of cultivating the collected mind. As we cultivate the collected mind, these factors of jhana begin to grow in our minds. And these factors of jhana actively work to counter the hindrances. And so we'll talk about both sides tonight. We'll explore both sides of the, uh, the equation tonight. So in terms of exploring the hindrances, what I'd like to do first is to just highlight how when we work with hindrances in our vipassana practice, it's a little bit different than how we, our, our, say our first line of approach with the hindrances in concentration practice. In vipassana practice, we often are instructed to turn directly and to meet the hindrance. We explore the hindrance with mindfulness. Often we are taught in, um, in the m- mindfulness practice that any object and, and it's definitely true, it was my experience. Any object can be used as a place to cultivate mindfulness. And we can cultivate mindfulness by meeting the hindrances. And so the hindrances are not our enemy in any way in the Vipassana practice. In the concentration practice, we have a little bit more of an agenda to settle and stabilize the mind on the experience of the breath in this case with our uh, practice here. And so, while I wouldn't say the hindrances are the enemy, they, we have a slightly different relationship to the hindrances in concentration practice. And I would say the first approach is to stay with the breath, if possible. If possible, set aside the hindrance and stay with the breath. There are different, let's say different... Um, levels of engagement with the hindrances, depending on how strong the hindrance is and on how uh, strong our capacity for staying with the breath is. So I think, you know, in the exploration, um, in talking to some of you today, talking about the hindrances, in talking to you, sometimes it was pretty clear that the hindrance was, you know, it was, you were able to kind of just stay with the breath and kind of let the hindrance stay in the background. This would be kind of the, uh, the line of, uh, the level of meeting the hindrance that, it, that is the, the, um, the least engaged with the hindrance. So as hindrances arise, if it's possible, and we can just check this out, if it's possible, can, you know, so sleepiness arises. Now, can the sleepiness just be in the background and can you just know the breath? Now, there's the breath happening and just the sleepiness in the background or thoughts or, you know, maybe a little bit of aversion happening. It's like, 
You know, it can be there, but I can stay with the breath. This can actually be pretty powerful to recognize this possibility. On my first long metta retreat, I I did a month of metta practice as a concentration practice and got these instructions about, you know, so, so aversion arises, you know, just stay with the metta. And it was kind of a revelation because in my um, Vipassana practice, it had been like, oh, there's, there's aversion happening? Ooh, let's look at that. And it had been like zeroing in on the aversion. And um, while that was useful and I learned a lot, it was quite a revelation to recognize, oh, there's aversion happening? You mean I don't have to like put it under a microscope? I can just like set it aside and stay with the, the um, phrases? It was such a relief. It's like, oh, wow, this is a completely different way to engage with the hindrances. So this is a skill that we learn, essentially a skill of setting aside. Sometimes I call this the skill of not now. we, We kind of recognize, acknowledge that a hindrance is there. And, you know, sometimes I even bow to it and say, yes, thank you for showing up. And right now, you know, you can stay in the room with me, but I'm going to pay attention to the breath. Or I'm going to pay attention to my metta, which is what I was doing in that case. So there's a skill about this. This this setting aside cannot be done with aversion. It's not a pushing aside. It's not a trying to get rid of or repress. But it's more of just a gentle... Yeah, I see you. But it's kind of like a, um, how you might uh, give a, a, a toddler a timeout. You know, let, let, the, let, let the aversion have a timeout. You know, it can sit over there, but you're just doing your thing, paying attention to, to the breath. How this works as a skillful means is that essentially the... Um, the hindrances feed on they feed on unawareness and they feed on a kind of a spiral or a cycle of reactivity and so you're all familiar with this you know with aversion arising thoughts of anger arise and it kind of fuels the cycle and so this uh, this practice of setting aside and staying with the breath doesn't allow that cycle to continue because we're not engaged with the hindrance. But it also, we are also actively engaged in cultivating mindfulness and concentration on the breath. And so the, the, uh, the hindrance doesn't actually have much nourishment to feed it. So setting it aside actually is one way that the hindrance can begin to dissipate. This was, this was quite a revelation for me to recognize, oh, you mean I don't have to actually like zero into it and figure it out? Set it aside and let it kind of dissipate as you stay connected with the breath. So this level of engagement, this not now, setting aside kind of letting the hindrance be in the background works either if the hindrance is not terribly strong or if your capacity to be with the, um, the breath is, is pretty strong. 
If the hindrance is a little stronger or your ability to be with the breath is a little weaker, there may need to be a little more engagement. The next level of engagement is something along the lines of um, breathing with the hindrance. So it's, um, you know, so you know there's, there's the hindrance arising and it's like, yes, I see you, anger, and we're going to breathe together here. You know, or, you know, restlessness, let's breathe together. So that it's, it's, it's there's the, the, the hindrance has come a little bit more to the foreground, but hopefully it can be at a place where there's a, 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 a kind of a balance between being able to stay connected with the breath and just know that the hindrance is there. So allow the breath to include the hindrance. Envelop the breath with the hindrance. This can also work with exploring pain. We talked a little bit about this this morning. If, if there's pain, often there is an aversive reaction to that. But we can also, you know, if there's an unpleasant experience that's challenging, breathe with that unpleasant experience. Breathe through it even having the sense of allowing the breath to infuse that either that state of mind or the place in the body that's feeling pain. Another tool that I use sometimes that's, that's broadly, it's, it's useful in a lot of different ways, but it's helpful with the hindrances just to remind myself, okay, yep, there's that frustration and the breath. There's confusion and the breath. Just continually to remind myself and the breath, and the breath. So that there's this kind of touchstone to stay with the experience of breathing, even as we know other experience. So and the breath, and the breath. Something you might also explore, I say this with a little bit more, um, this needs a little bit more exploration or or kind of context setting. And this is to um, use a kind of an inquiry. Perhaps you may be finding it's hard, you know, you're you're able, you know the hindrance, but it's hard to find a way to be with the breath skillfully while that hindrance is there. You know, you're trying, you see the breath and you know that there, you see the hindrance and you know the breath, but it, it just doesn't quite feel like it's settled in together. Sometimes you can explore just asking, asking for wisdom, essentially. Asking for the body and mind to support you in this exploration. So this is uh, something that comes from my teacher, Sayadaw Utejaniya, this kind of inquiry that I have found incredibly useful. So to just like drop a question in, what might it mean to attend skillfully to the breath with this mind state? So not trying to figure it out, but just putting that question into the whole mix and just continuing then to be present with the breath. I tried this just the other day, actually. This came to me just the other morning. There was some mind state, and it was, I was struggling to find a way to be with the breath with that mind state. And this question kind of arose spontaneously. 
And as I, you know, just continued to be with the breath, it was like I watched the mind and the breath adjust themselves to have a more relaxed, receptive relationship with that mind state present. So the, this use of inquiry or this use of questions, it's not, if, if you find it sends you into thinking or trying to figure out or searching for an answer, just forget about it. Don't even go there. But sometimes we can drop a question into a meditation and like a, a kind of a wisdom begins to show up because the more we actually settle into concentration, the more wisdom is actually available for us. Sometimes we can use this kind of question or inquiry to uh, encourage that wisdom to arise. If the hindrances are even stronger, then we might need to actually um, let go of the breath and work more directly with the hindrances. Using our familiar tools, like for instance, when the mind is sleepy, opening the eyes or standing up or um, perhaps with um, uh, with the, the hindrances of sense, desire, or ill will, turning directly to meet the hindrance with mindfulness. But this is kind of our last line of attack with the concentration practice. Our approach first is to try to stay with the breath, to try to meet the hindrance with the breath, to breathe with the hindrance. And and then if it's not possible or it feels like the hindrance is growing, getting stronger, then it might be, might be time to begin to use our familiar tools, a familiar approach. This is not a failure, by the way. <laughs> this doesn't mean that you failed. It's just like, these are the conditions right now. You know, sometimes conditions change. Conditions, sometimes it's easier to be with the breath. Sometimes it's easy. You know, you've had a, you've had a, a good night of sleep. Maybe sometimes the morning is your easy time. And then, you know, the day goes on, the mind gets a little more tired. So conditions change. So our responses to the hindrances need to be flexible. As we cultivate the practice of concentration, staying with the breath, connecting in this relaxed way, receptive attention, the factors of jhana, these five factors of jhana begin to grow and begin to counter the hindrances directly countering those forces that keep us from being present with the breath. The five fact, five tonic factors are, I'm going to use the Pali here, um, and I will translate this for you, but we tend to use the Pali for these terms for some reason. So I want you to start to get familiar with the Pali terms for these tonic factors. So they are Vitaka, is the first. I'll, I'll name them first. Vitaka, Vichara, 
which are uh, directing, vitaka is directing the attention, aiming the attention, connecting to experience. Vichara is a kind of a sustaining of the attention. Then there's piti, which is rapture, interest, delight, delighted interest, rapt interest, that kind of quality of mind, rapture, piti. Sukha, the Pali for happiness, which is um, kind of a contented, sweet flavor to experience. And ekagata, unification of mind, balance of mind, collectedness of mind, unification of mind. So each of these five factors directly counters specifically one of the hindrances. And so as we cultivate the concentration, very naturally the hindrances start to reduce. They're actually suppressed in a way. These, these jhanic factors um, counter the hindrances but don't uproot them it's not, it's not the kind of uprooting that happens. It's not the kind of elimination of hindrances that happens when something is seen very clearly and it, um, it goes through wisdom. So it's a form of, of um, suppression in a way. It's, not, it's, it's a skillful suppression of the hindrances. And as these hindrances are... Uh, released through the cultivation of these factors, the mind moves into that access concentration where the hindrances are fully at bay. And so as the concentration develops, these five factors grow strong and the hindrances grow weak. And this, as Philip said last night, feels really good. The, frame, the, the, the term for this is the bliss of seclusion. We are secluded from the hindrances for a time. It's a really powerful learning to begin to recognize what it is for the mind to not have these hindrances at work. When we get a taste of this, it begins to uh, encourage us to keep going. So I want to talk a bit about each of these factors, primarily about the first two, vitaka and vichara, the the connecting or the aiming of the attention and the sustaining of the attention. Because of these five jhanic factors, these first two are the only ones that we have any possibility of engaging in personal effort with. The other three... Piti, rapture, sukha, happiness, and ekagata, unification of mind, are a result of the practice. So essentially, the last three jhanic factors are a result of how we apply vitaka and vichara. And so it's useful to take some time to explore how do those two factors work? What is a skillful way to engage with those two factors of jhana? Essentially, this to me is the art of concentration practice, the art of any meditation practice, actually, how we engage with aiming and sustaining the attention. Can we cultivate this uh, a receptive, relaxed 
attention through the use of these two factors. So as a pair, these two work together. And sometimes they're talked about, you know, you know in, um, in a way that like the vitaka is the hitting of the bell. It's like that. And the vichara is the sustaining sound. So as we connect with the connect with the um, attention, there's a kind of a natural, let's say, resonance or sustaining that happens as we, as we aim and connect to experience. Depends on how we do it. The resonance isn't quite as full. And so that Connecting, the way we connect, actually this is one of the biggest areas of our exploration of effort. How do we connect? How do we aim the attention? Aiming, the word aiming even, the, the witaka, the connect, connect to the object. You know, often, at least when I first heard about this, I thought, Ooh, this means I go out to find the object. I grab onto it. I narrow my focus. That's the, the kind of idea I had in my mind about this factor, Witaka. But there's a kind of a, a whole different way to aim. So I've found through my own practice some perhaps gentler ways to aim the attention. So I'll I'll share some of those with you, and some of them have already been mentioned. Sally mentioned the very first evening the notion of allowing the breath to come to you, settling back and receiving the breath. This is a form of aiming, but you're not going out to look for it It's more of settle back and it's the intention. Ah, I'd like to connect with the breath. May the breath come in to the awareness. Try that right now. You know, can you settle back and... You could even use it as a request. May the attention rest with the breathing. And then not so much try to do it. Oh, may the attention rest with the breathing. So allowing the breath to come to you. Sometimes I have the sense when I'm exploring this receptive attention um, to counter that notion of narrowing. It's like if I'm paying attention to something small like the tip of the nostrils or in the abdomen, and we have this idea of the object being maybe the size of a quarter. And so with that, it's like we think we have to squish all of our awareness down into that little quarter-sized thing. But a kind of a different approach might be, well, can you let that experience of the breath of that experience can you let that get as big as the awareness? Again, it's kind of letting the breath come to you, but it's, it's the awareness. The awareness doesn't have a size or a shape, really. And sometimes we can play with a sense of a big awareness. 
So let the object get big, let the breath get big to fill the awareness. This usually requires relaxation. Relaxing the body, relaxing the mind, and then exploring this possibility of can the breath, can I have the sense of the breath getting big in the awareness? The breath can sometimes also be a, a delicate creature, kind of a shy thing. And I found sometimes that if I tried to like turn and look right at it, it'd be like, I could hardly find it. But if I kind of like snuck up on it from the side, then I could connect with it. It's almost like, I don't know if any of you have noticed with stars. I don't think, I don't know what the stars are going to be like tonight, but if there are stars, you can check this out. If you look up at the stars, sometimes if there's a, a dim star up there, if you're looking right at it, it's hard to see. But if you look just off to the side, then you can see it. And sometimes the breath is like that. If we're trying to zero in right on it, sometimes it's, it's like too much, too much energy. And it just obscures the experience of the breath. And so if you just like, almost think of it as looking in the periphery of your attention for the breath. One way you might explore this, like right now, you're paying attention. So if you're not, pay attention to what I'm saying. <laughs> Notice, you know, you're hearing. But while you're hearing, let there be a little bit of a split attention and be with the breath at the same time. But keep your attention on the hearing and just you know, notice like from the side, you might be able to just kind of know the breath at the same time. Sometimes, and, and some of you actually reported this today, that sometimes it's actually easier to kind of connect with the breath when the mind has also got another object in mind. And so if you find that, you can use that. You can connect to the experience of hearing, for example. And then allow the attention to know that the breath is there. Again, a very gentle way of aiming, not this like zeroing in kind of approach. With Wichara, the um, sustaining of the attention. I think with Wichara, you know, often with both Wichara and Wichara, we have some habitual, perhaps, relationships with those factors of mind that are bound up with our doing. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to accomplish it. And so we have some habitual relationships to these two qualities that often tend to seem to be mm, a little... less effective in meditation, perhaps, than they are if we're doing something in our work, for instance. You know, Philip was talking about the ordinary kinds of concentration, of, of like holding a bottle under the tap or something. You know, there we kind of can focus in. But that kind of focus may not be the, the most skillful approach for concentration practice. 
It's possible. I mean, I certainly have gotten concentrated by grabbing on and holding on to the breath. But then I found that there was a kind of a container that was created that was kind of tight and not so flexible. And so it's really well worth the time to be a little more patient with the vitaka and vichara. Be a little more patient with this receiving of the breath and a gentle sustaining of the attention. Let the, um, the way in to the concentration be uh, the kind of container in which the concentration can naturally grow and deepen as opposed to trying to hold on. So the sustaining also, we often have the idea of using force to sustain. We might sit down at the beginning of a sitting and think, okay, 45 minutes, breath, right, let me be here for 45 minutes. And it's almost like we pick up the entire 45 minute sitting in that first second, trying to create and muster the energy to be present for that whole 45 minutes right in the first moment. And instead, a more helpful way to sustain the attention is just a very light touch. It's almost like noticing how that connecting or the aiming of the attention, it's like, okay, the breath, the the way Philip was talking about connecting with the hand, you know, so we connect like this. And that connecting will have some lingering resonance like hitting the bell. It'll have some lingering sustaining of the attention. And we need to begin to get familiar with these two qualities together. And that like, just that gentle connecting, sometimes we need to just, you know, it's like we connect and there's a little sustaining and then it's not that we're like going someplace else, but the attention kind of floats a little bit and you can gently connect again and it sustains, and then it floats, and then you gently connect again. So we use that gentle connection to create the sustaining. It's like just enough, just enough effort to stay with half a breath. When you sit down for that 45 minute sitting, that's all the effort you need to make in the first moment. Right now, half a breath, How much energy does it take to be with half a breath, an in-breath? And then do it again, an out-breath. And then enough energy, an in-breath. That's it. That level of energy is what is a skillful sustaining of the attention. As we explore in that way, there begins to be a momentum that builds and we get familiar, we, we connect, and we see, oh, there's a natural sustaining. We've learned kind of more how to connect and have that sustaining naturally flow for a while. And then we don't have to keep connecting. And we stay with the sustaining. We learn that sense of what that sustaining is. And when it starts to weaken, And then we gently connect again. I sometimes use an analogy for this pair, vitaka, vichara. 
kids sometimes ride these um, scooters, these uh, razor scooters, where it's it's not a motor scooter, it's a kick scooter. And you're you're standing on the the one, the, the bed of the scooter, and holding onto the bar, and you have to put your foot down and tap the ground to get going. That tap is like witaka. You're tapping, tapping, tapping. A gentle tap is very effective. You know, you could put your foot down and like push really hard, but you know, mostly just gentle tap, tap, tap. And with that gentle tap, 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 momentum builds. And you can ride for a while. You get the feeling of what it's like to just ride. You just hang out there and ride. And you get familiar with what it's like for that scooter to start to feel wobbly when, oh, need to put the foot down again and tap. Very similar very similar experience with the vitaka vichara. We get familiar with that gentle connecting, receiving, receptive, gentle connecting to the breath. How long does the vichara sustain? And then learning kind of essentially how frequently to keep that vitaka going. The more we practice the more the sustaining kind of begins to carry us. And we don't need to put in so much personal effort. We don't need to to aim so much. And so getting familiar with both of these qualities will support you in understanding the feeling of the, uh, the concentration as it begins to collect and gather. The factor of vitaka the aiming, counters the hindrance of sloth and torpor. And so if the mind is dull or sleepy, this is the factor that helps to wake up the mind. So you can actively use vitaka if you are sleepy. You can consciously use vitaka, a kind of a, you know, just consciously remembering, right, connect, Connect, maybe a little more frequently. Connect, gentle connect. Maybe even a little more active. Sometimes it's helpful to use a little more precision to just track the breath. Just like, yep, there's the breath. Beginning, middle, end of the breath. We taka, we taka, we taka through the breath. Vichara, the sustaining of the attention, is the antidote to doubt. It counters the hindrance of doubt. Vichara is what connects us to the experience. We sustain the experience with the breath. Doubt feeds on being disconnected from experience. And so as we sustain the attention... There's no nourishment for doubt. So the, uh, the, the sustaining of the attention supports the falling away of doubt. With doubt, it's often helpful to just be willing to engage. You know, noticing, okay, yes, there's doubt here. If we're engaged with the questions of, you know, the, the ways we have doubt, the te- doubts in the teachings, doubts in the teachers, doubts in ourselves, if we're engaged in that, then the, uh, uh, the mind is not connecting to experience. 
And so if we, if we can be even willing to just say, yes, I see there's doubt, but I'm just going to see. You know, I'm willing to run the experiment and see. How about if I just try staying connected with anything? Let me just stay connected with a foot on the ground or my butt on the chair. Let's just see what happens. Being willing to see. Willing to run the experiment. This willingness is a form of confidence or a form of trust, a form of faith. And that also is a counter to doubt. So that's Vitaka and Vichara, these first two of the factors of jhana. And I'll talk much more briefly about the last three. Rapture, piti. This is a delight, a joy, accompanied by interest in the experience. It's often felt as um, physical, uh, pleasant bodily experience. It might be felt as tingling or goosebumps or waves of pleasant um, wave-like crashing experience through the body, kind of orgasmic, could be flashes of energy, might be flashes of light, um, might feel like you're filled with water, saturated or very heavy, lots of different experiences that come. The physical experiences are often one of the signs of rapture, but rapture is a mind state. It's the mind of delight and interest in the experience. It comes about as the vitaka and vichara keep us connected with experience. As the momentum of the vichara begins to um, sustain, the mind gets much more interested in the breath. It actually starts to feel good. The mind wants to stay with the breath. It's interested, it's happy to be with the breath. And so it begins to feel less effortful to be with the practice as the rapture starts to grow. Less personal effort is needed to keep the practice going. So the vichara is is kind of sustaining the practice. Sometimes the feeling of rapture has a kind of a feeling of nourishment through the body. A mental refreshment as well. So it's, it's a very delightful state. Often. And yet sometimes it does also get kind of intense. The physical and sensations can actually get a little bit strong at times. I'll talk about that in just a moment. We have a tendency because of the sensation, because the sensations of rapture are often so pleasant. It's essentially the physical stuff that happens with rapture are kind of a side effect. It's a physical side effect of the state of mind. And because it's so pleasant, we tend to get pulled either to the physical sensations or you know, to some idea of, wow, this is so great. So we, we tend to get pulled to the rapture. See if you can stay with the breath. 
let the rapture, let the physical sensations kind of be in the background if, it's po- if possible. It's almost like working with those hindrances. You know, let the, let the rapture recede. Not, you're not trying to push it away. But also, it's not like you're like directing the attention at it. The rapture has come about as a consequence of staying with the breath. The conditions for the rapture arising are staying with the breath. If you take your attention out of the breath and start paying attention to the rapture, wonky things can happen. And you've taken the conditions away from what has been nourishing the rapture. So it may just disappear entirely. Or it can get kind of wonky sometimes too. You know, the, the, the energy can start to go kind of weird on you. So see if you can just let the rapture be in the background and stay with the breath. The presence of rapture counters the hindrance of ill will. As the mind is contented, interested, happy to be with experience, it is just, ill will is just not in the picture. It's just like, you can't even muster it up. It's just like, ill will? What's that? So it's a very powerful uh, counter to ill will. The mind just does not go there. If the rapture is strong, if it gets a little bit strong, sometimes it can. Um, The the physical sensations can sometimes get quite intense. At one point, on one long concentration retreat, the rapture, for me, felt like I was being immersed into a bath of electrocution. It was that intense, the the energy, every single cell felt like it was like... (sighs) And so some ways to work with that. First of all, um, I just reminded myself, this is a mind state, it's impermanent. It will pass. And then my teacher recommended I kind of allow the energy of the rapture to flow down, put my attention in my hands and my feet, and let the, the energy flow out my hands and feet. This is very helpful. So I really suggest this, uh, this practice. And then also you might use a, a request or a, an exploration as much as I talked about before. You know, what kind of a breath would support calming this energy? What, would, what kind of a breath would support tranquility? What would tranquilize the breath? Sukha, happiness, the next factor, is a more purely mental pleasure. It does come with, to me, a, a feeling of the... the it, it, it has some bodily experience also, but it's not so energetic. Sukha is very naturally a tranquilizing quality of mind. We really touch into the, the tranquility aspect of concentration through sukha. But it's also very, very sweet. Very sweet. It's, I call it the oh yes state. It's like, why, why, you know, why would the mind not want to be here? 
it's just so, it feels like, feels like all my cells are aligned and pointed in the same direction. It's just, just very sweet. Again, both rapture and um, sukha, piti and sukha, are not something we do. We can, the, the aiming and sustaining of the attention supports them arising. So the conditions of the aiming and sustaining support rapture and happiness to arise. We can also uh, incline in the direction by um, just seeing, perhaps, inclining towards interest in the breath. That's one, since, since interest is a part of rapture, we can just incline towards being interested in the breath. If it's not possible, let it go. I mean, you don't, you don't want to like, be doing too much there. But sometimes, again, it might be, is there a way to be interested in the breath? And then just let, it, let go of the question and just see what happens. We can also incline towards these qualities or support the, the, create conditions that support both rapture and sukha by... Um, Encouraging a pleasure in the breath. Breathing in a way that feels comfortable. This was one of the instructions my, um, my teacher gave me. Tanisaro Bhikkhu was the, my main jhana teacher. And he said, breathe in a way that feels comfortable. You're welcome to adjust the breath so that it feels comfortable. Sometimes I would ask myself, what kind of breath would be most comfortable right now? Again, and then just let, let the breath breathe at that point. Seeing what, what, can there be some comfort in the breath? As the breath becomes comfortable, the mind naturally begins to want to stay with it. That's really what supports the, uh, the rapture and the happiness arising, is the sustaining of the attention. But as we can encourage the comfortable breath it encourages the resting with the breath and the pleasure of that also can be a, a support for the arising of the rapture and the sukha the, and the happiness sukha, happiness counters restlessness and again it's like the mind is just really contented in that state. It is not interested in searching around for other stuff. So it, it, the, the hindrance of restlessness falls away as sukha gets strong. We do have a tendency to cling to sukha. It is so pleasant. And so this is an area where we have to recognize, okay, Yes, there can, hindrances can kind of come in, you know. Desire can come in around sukha. Fortunately, the next um, factor is the one that counters desire. Unification of mind. Balance of mind. Ekagata. Balance of mind. Unification of mind. It's in the, in the vicinity of equanimity, but it also... So the mind feels contented, balanced. There's also a stillness. This is where the stillness of the 
um, practice, I think, really becomes strong, as ekagata becomes strong. It mind feels like there is no problem. Nothing it wants to change, just very balanced. This countersense desire, because this um, there's nothing that it wants in that place of ekagata, no problem. There's, there's, it, it understands, the mind understands there's nothing that would make this experience like better, which is what sense desire is trying to do, you know, go out and get something to make something better. So the, uh, the experience of the unification of mind begins to, like these factors working together actually, all five of these factors coming together, creating the state of concentration, creating this state of access concentration, shows us a happiness, a contentedness, a pleasure that is way beyond any pleasure that sense desire has to offer. As we touch into this possibility, it becomes very much easier to let go of sense desire from the Dhammapada. If by renouncing a lesser happiness, one may realize a greater happiness, the wise one renounces the lesser having regard for the greater. We basically see that the pleasure of sense desire, the pleasure related to sense desire, is an inferior kind of pleasure. And the mind naturally begins to let it go. So the hindrances start to fall away with concentration. Again, they're, they're not uprooted with concentration as the concentration state falls away. And you may notice this sometimes as we go through cycles of concentration. Sometimes we find that as, as the concentration state falls apart, it's like we are just overwhelmed with hindrances. I remember in this metta retreat doing, doing uh, dishes one evening and the, the, hind- the, the metta was a little bit weaker. I was doing the dishwashing and I was like railing at the machine. It's like, who designed this stupid machine? It's like, wow, you know, look at this. The, sometimes the hindrances can kind of come back with a vengeance after a period of being concentrated. So it's not, it's not like you've done something wrong. It's just a kind of a part of this process. But we learn so much as the mind goes into this, these, as, as we learn the conditions for the cultivation of the state of concentration. We learn about our minds. We learn how our minds tend to want to gravitate towards their hindrances. We learn how to release them, how to set them aside, how to keep our attention in a place that leads to a greater form of happiness in the service of liberation. We really begin to appreciate a mind that is free from hindrances. And we have the the wisdom of the mind wants to head in that direction. 
And so it starts to do that. And we start to want to cultivate the conditions that support concentration. Again, we can't create the concentration. We can engage with and with our effort, our light touch, our gentle, receptive effort that creates a container for concentration to arise. So we can't can take, create concentration, but we can nourish the conditions that support it. And those main conditions are relaxed, receptive attention, gentle connection. That. Let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.